Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Well, well listen, we're, we're going to have some, some fun this morning. How many of you guys know you can have fun in church? Uh, anybody know what an anagram is? Anagram? So, so it, it's basically like you, you take a word and then you take the letters from that word and you rearrange them to create another word. For example, if I were to say um, the word pot, an anagram, uh, you can mix those words up and you can come up with the word top. You guys tracking with me on that? So, so let me show you a word and I want to see if you guys can get it. But I don't want you to shout it out just when you get it. I want you to lift up your hand. There is another word in this word and I want to see how good you guys are. Let me give you five seconds of awkward silence. Anybody just slip up your hand when you got it? <laughs> yeah, our sound team. <laughs> yeah, good job, guys. All right, we got one. We got one. Okay, all right. Well, listen, don't feel bad because this anagram has actually stumped people at Yale, Princeton, Harvard, all the above. And when I show you, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I've never heard of that word. Uh, let me show you what the word is, cubism. But isn't it so hard to see because what's normal is be music. That's what's normal. So we see just, many of us were looking and we're just saying be music the whole time, be music, be music, be music. And it's so hard to see outside of what's normal. Well, this, this study was done by a man by the name of, of Nick Jankel, and he wanted to figure out why is it so hard to see beyond the norm. And so he discovered in his research that uh, some, some people got together and they hooked some wrappers up to an fMRI um, device, which basically scans your brain. And what they said to the rappers was, they said, we want you to rap lyrics that you've already created. We're going to connect you up to this scanner, and we're going to, you know, identify the brain activity that's happening as you speak. And so they wrapped their normal lyrics, and then they said, hey, now we want you to create some brand new lyrics right off the top of your head. And what they found is that in our brain, that the, when they're Communicating the lyrics that they have already created, they're operating on one part of the network of our brain. And when they're trying to create from scratch, they're completely um, operating in a different network or a different portion of the brain. Now, let me show you how this works. So the, the portion when they were reciting what they already knew is this cognitive control network. Now, this is the place where there's control, there's concentration, there's certainty. It's the safe place. It's best practices. It's, it's the place that we associate with smart. But then when they went to create, it switched to a different network, and it was the default mode network. And this is the place where you daydream. This is the place where you imagine. This is the place where there's insight. And this is the place where things are innovative. And in his study, what, what, he, what he found was the reason why many businesses fail to change before they go bankrupt or they tank is because they hire a bunch of people to be smart, to, to stick to the best practices. But they don't pay people to daydream. They don't pay people to imagine. They don't pay people to innovate. Are you tracking with that? And so you could see that. Um, some of these examples, like, like Blockbuster would be a great example of that, where, you know, the, the times were changing. But it's really hard to die to normal and imagine that something else is possible. 
And so Blockbuster was like, man, this is the way that we've always run the play. We, we, we rent DVDs. And then Redbox said, no, we got a better idea. And then Netflix said, no, we got a better idea. And then Blockbuster went out of business. And this has happened countless amount of times. We see this with BlackBerry. BlackBerry did not want to adjust to applications, to apps, as Apple was adjusting. They said, no, we're not going to move to apps. And guess what? <laughs> they didn't move to apps, and it didn't work out too well for BlackBerry. And you see the same thing with Kodak. When everything was going digital, Kodak said, we're not going digital. And and now they wish they would have went digital because they went bankrupt. But it just, it, it proves the point that it's really hard to die to what is normal in order to, to imagine what is, what is possible or what could be. And so, so I, I was thinking about this. You know, we, we all have normals, don't we? And we want breakthroughs in some of these normals. But the tough part is, in order to, to have a breakthrough, many times you have to let go of the old, which is so hard in order to embrace the new. And so a lot of us, we want breakthrough in certain areas, but we have old mindsets, old belief systems, dysfunctional patterns that we've just grown up with. And God is saying, man, I want to break through in your life. I want to show you that there is so many more things that are possible, but sometimes it's so hard for us to see outside of the normal. All we see is be music over and over and over. It's hard to see cubism. It's hard to see that, God, you could really do something new, that you could actually break through in some of these areas in our life. But it's so hard to die to the normal in order to embrace all that God has for us in the new because we have to let go of the old. And so I think that's why passages in the scripture can be really frustrating for us. Passages like this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Now this can be really, really hard when you constantly are thinking negative. Right? When you have a ton of negative thought patterns. When for you, you're like, praiseworthy, what's worthy of praise? You're already, even just reading the passage, you're already going into a negative spot. It can just be frustrating. Like, how in the world do I do that? How do I think about that stuff all the time? It can be a little bit challenging. Anybody with me? Anybody human? All right. Um, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says this one. What about this? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. See, in order to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, that means that there can't be any of you. In order to trust in the Lord and to lean not on your own understanding means that you're going to have to let go of some old things in order to embrace what God is speaking and saying. Now, I'm not talking about, like, throw your brain out the window. The scripture is completely um, opposed to that. And I'm not talking about bypass your intellect. Man, the scripture is full of saying, hey, renew your mind. This is the whole this is the whole idea of what God is talking about in renewing the pattern of our thinking. God's not saying abandon your intellect. He's saying get rid of all the junk and let me renew it with what's true. And so, so we have passages like this, and it's frustrating. And I think it's frustrating because we forget about passages like this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Now, this word transform... It actually means metamorphosis. It's the same word that's used for a caterpillar transitioning to a butterfly, right? That, that they're dying to an old way of life, and God is transforming you into a brand new creature. 
And, and, and so you get this picture. In order for a caterpillar to become a butterfly, the caterpillar has to die to some old ways. Like, he's not going to be able to creepy crawl on the ground anymore. He's going to fly, right? And so, but, but there, there's, there's an element of letting go. What about this passage? This passage says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So again, what is the Lord telling us here? We have to demolish some things, some arguments, some fight, false ideologies, some, some false patterns of thinking, some destructive um, ideas that may be pressing up against us engaging uh, in a deeper and more intimate relationship with God that will eventually keep us from all that God has from us, will keep us from breakthrough. And so, so we have to trans, God says, man, you got to transform, you got to let go, you got to demolish some things. What about this last one? He says, set your mind on things of above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, he's not speaking of a physical death, but he's saying that you have died to that old nature, that sinful nature, that as a result of what Christ has done on the cross, the moment you confess Jesus is Lord, God places his spirit on the inside of you. And just as Christ died on the cross, you died to your old way of life and are living a brand new life in Christ. Which he goes on to say, when Christ who is your life now appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death. Here it is again. Let it go. You got to put to death some things. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And so you see this, this paradox in, in the scripture. You see this paradox in, in light of our relationship with God that in order for things to really live, some things have to die. In order for us to really break through to the new, we got to let go of some of the old we got to let go of some of the junk. we got to demolish some of the things that have been keeping us in unhealthy places. Are you tracking with me on that? In other words, this. In other words, this is the bottom line of what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate is this. If you're taking notes, jot it down. Our call to life starts with first a call to die. And this just doesn't seem like, wow, this is encouraging. Uh, it just doesn't seem good on, on the surface. But all of us know how it feels to, like, out with the old toy when you're a kid and you got the new one. You're like, yes, you can care less about that old one, right? Because, man, there's something brand new. And in the scriptures, Jesus comes on the scene and he just kind of takes life and completely turns it upside down or, should I say, right side up. Jesus says things like, man, you want to know the way to really find life? It's to lose it. You want to know the way to, to be number one? Become the servant of all. You know, the, the way up is down. And it's funny because a lot of corporate companies are catching that principle. Like they're understanding that, man, a CEO that, that has a servant heart and mentality is going a whole lot more than a CEO that's just at the top and doesn't know anybody. And so, so even, even the corporate world is, is looking at the scripture like, man, you got a point, God. And it works. But I think sometimes for us uh, in the church, man, we, we hear this stuff all the time. And if you're, th this is your first time to church, maybe this is all new to you. But, but we, we hear some of these phrases and we hear some of these passages of Scripture. And we want God to break through in different areas of our life. Like we want a sudden dramatic advance. But many times God is saying, will you be willing to let go of some things to embrace all that I have for you? Will you be, letting to, will you be willing to let go of some B music so that I can show you cubism. You guys track with me on that? And, and this, is where, this is where Jonah w w was, was caught in this tension. 
Now, let me just kind of recap from last week. So Jonah is living his life, and God says, hey, Jonah, I've called you to preach to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah's like, what? No way. Now, the people of Nineveh and the people of Israel did not get along. The people of Nineveh were brutal to the people of Israel. They murdered the people of Israel. They were not, they didn't like each other. And so for Jonah, the normal way of life was they stay on their side, we stay on our side, and this is how we do life. And God was saying, yeah, Jonah, but there's, a, there's another way. And then Jonah, knowing God, he's like, no way, because if I go and preach to them, you're going to have grace on them, and they're going to respond to you, and then like life is going to get better for them, and I want them to be miserable. Like for some of us, that's like a normal day at home, right? <laughs> and Jonah was like, there's no way I want them to experience your grace. I don't want them to live their best life. And, and God was like, Jonah, there's, there's a whole another aspect that you're just not seeing. Jonah, you're just seeing B music, but I want to show you cubism. Like there's, 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 there's a whole different element that I want you to see. But Jonah just could not see it. He could not let go of the norm to embrace all that God had for him moving forward. And so what did Jonah do? He ran away. He jumped on a cruise ship. He said, Lord, you can go ahead and live your best life. I'm going to live my best life on a cruise. Come on. How many of you guys know, though, a vacation does not solve your issues? Some of you guys are like, I just want a vacation. No, you don't need a vacation. You might just need to deal with your stuff. And so, so Jonah jumps on a cruise ship. He goes to the bottom of the ship, deafens his ear, and it just, just to sleep and to sulk and to isolate himself from the world, from his issues, and more importantly, from God. God, don't speak to me. I don't want to hear you. I'm at the bottom of the ship. Leave me alone. Try to live my best life, God. And so, so you know how God is. A storm arises on the sea. Can I just tell you that every storm that arises in your life may not be the enemy but the grace of God trying to get your attention. Because how many of you guys know if we pay attention sometimes to our pain, we might learn something. And so, so when this storm arises, then Jonah's like, I don't care. I mean, he's just on the bottom of the boat, just getting rocked, doesn't even care. So this pagan sailor comes down. And you got to understand, when I say pagan, it just means somebody who does not worship the one true God, but these guys worshiped a multiplicity of gods. And they were praying to their gods, and it wasn't working for the storm to cease. So they came and said, hey, Joe, hey, man, could you try praying to your God? Because we're in a mess. If you didn't notice, Jonah's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let, let, let me sleep. And so finally, the guys are up on the top, the other part of the crew, and they're trying to figure out, man, which one of you guys did something to make the gods upset, right? And so they cast some dice. They, they roll some dice. Like whenever you're in trouble, just roll some dice to figure it out, right? So they roll some dice, and all the dice point to Jonah. And it's like, it's him. How many of you guys know, listen, God many times will expose your sin not to shame you, but to heal you. Because Jonah's not in a healthy spot. And so they said, hey, Joe, like, what's going on? Who are you? And that's where we pick up in the text. Jonah chapter 1, verse 8 says this. What is your occupation and where have you come from? What is your country and who are your people? In other words, you are a weird guy that's caused us a lot of trouble. Who are you, dude? And Jonah's like, ah, so look at Jonah's reply. He said, I am a Hebrew, replied Jonah. I worship the Lord. This is how you would approach somebody that did not worship the one true God in this culture. You would point out his attributes. The God of the heavens who made the sea and 
the dry land. Now, everybody that's listening is probably wondering, probably took a step back and said, huh, it seems like your actions contradict your confession a little bit, Jonah. Because Jonah said, here, I worship and I fear the one true God who created the sea upon which I am trying to run away from him. So, so you know, sometimes people look at us as followers of Jesus, and what do they see? Do, do they see a contradiction between our action and our confession? Like, do they look at us like, um, like, you say this, but your life is not lining up with that. And so, so nevertheless, Jonah was like, man, this is who I am, and it continues and he says this, that this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Like, Jonah, what are you doing? Like, and this is, this is the crux. It says they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So Jonah knows full well what he's doing. Hey, guys, I'm running, and I don't plan on stopping. And so these guys are like, you worship the one true God of the sea, and you're running from the sea. Now there's a storm on the sea. Like, what are you doing? This is not good. How many of you guys know when a bunch of pagan sailors are trying to talk to Jonah, he's in the not a good spot. And they know it. Jonah knows it. And it says the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And I think a lot of times when we're in need of a breakthrough, we are asking that same question. We're asking, what should we do to make the sea Calm down. Now, they know at this point that there is sin on their boat, that Jonah has violated his relationship with God, that there's some unhealthy stuff happening. But we ask the same question, what, what should we do? And I love Jonah's reply, but it's kind of heartbreaking. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. Now, think about this for a minute. What Jonah was saying in this moment was, or what he should have said was, you know what, guys, it really has nothing about what you need to do to me, but rather what I need to do with God. Like in this moment, we serve a gracious God. In this moment, Jonah could have just repented. He could have just got on his knees and said, man, Lord, I, I've blown it. I get it. I'm causing people havoc. I mean, he feels bad for the guys. And he could have just said, Lord, I'm not running anymore. I'm done. But Jonah does not repent. He kind of digs his heels in and is like, Nope, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm just not going to go. So you, you want to know the solution? Just throw me overboard. And it sounds admirable. But remember what the Lord says in the scriptures, that the Lord desires obedience over sacrifice. And so it looks very admirable. Just throw me over. While all along, God is after Jonah's heart. And so these guys, they... I said, man, throw you over. Like, that's a bit harsh. And so instead the men did their best to row back to the land. Because, see, Jonah knew that this was his fault. He felt bad, but he still didn't want to budge. And so they did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And I started to think that a lot of times when we're thinking about breakthrough. Or when we find ourselves in a normal, in a season of difficulty, of challenge, of trial that's lasted a long period of time, 
or we're living in a dysfunctional state. We're living unhealthy emotionally, relationally. It's so easy in these moments to do one of two things. To get so frustrated, overwhelming, stubborn, prideful, and just say, you know what, forget it. It's just, just kill it. It's just not going to work. Just throw it overboard. Let it go. Or there's some issues that we don't want to deal with, or maybe there's some sin in our life that we, you know, just want to not really acknowledge and not deal with. And so what we do is rather than dealing with the sin, we just row harder in our dysfunction, hoping that something's going to change. Right? And so it's just, okay, well, I know that this is so dysfunctional. I'm just going to row harder. Right? And listen, one leads to tragedy and the other leads to exhaustion. And that's why today I would propose to you that there is another way. There's another way. And scripturally, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, but it is challenging. Because a lot of times we don't want to bow our knees. Some of us, Jonah would much rather go overboard than bow his knee. And some of us have dug our heels into certain things for so long that it's become so normal that we can't see the possibility, even with God, outside of that dysfunction. And God is saying, there's a better way. Some of us, we're just rowing and we're exhausted right now. Like, like you may even have a spiritual mask. Everybody may think you're even alive spiritually. But really, you're just rowing. And you're just trying to keep your head above water. And you're just trying to, you know, keep the appearance up. You're just trying to, you know, you know keep that spiritual lingo going. And you're just like, oh, just dying for a breakthrough. Dying for life. And so, so I would propose to you, like I said, there's another way. And it's not rocket science, but it's totally biblical. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. And that's the way to be led by the Holy Spirit, not our haughty flesh. We could be led by the Holy Spirit, not our haughty flesh. Now, now the Spirit of God is going to move us towards the things of God. But the haughty flesh, we're not talking about flesh and bone. We're talking about that old nature, that sin nature that loves to try to rise up and keep us in, in a, a prisoner, if you would, to stubbornness and pride and, you know, rebellion and quick fixes, all that craziness. So we have an opportunity to be led by the Spirit rather than by our haughty flesh. Your haughty flesh will say, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. The other side, the the, the haughty side will say, you know what, God, you didn't come through. You're not good. You're not faithful. Forget it. I give up. Still the flesh. But to be led by the Spirit is something completely different, completely liberating and life-giving. And look what Paul, how Paul describes it in Galatians. He says this, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh craves what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. We talked about Romans chapter 7 last week, right? Paul is in this fight of I know what I should do, but I really don't do what I should do. I do what I don't want to do. There's a battle. And he says, but if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now, now let me show you a picture. Paul is saying there's a war. There's there's this this battle, this conflict, spirit versus flesh, happening on the inside of you as a follower of Jesus. There's there's this this tug of war sometimes, if you would. And they both have an appetite. 
like, like the spirit's appetite is going to move you towards the things of God, things that are pure, things that are holy, and the flesh is going to move you away from the things of God, things that are unpure, things that are, are toxic for your soul. And Paul later in this passage, he goes on to describe what the flesh is. He's sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and others. You get the point. But he said the spirit is something completely different. The spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so Paul said, man, walk in the spirit. Be led by the spirit. And, and as a result of that, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. But, but there is this conflict that we wrestle with. There is this battle happening on the inside of us. But Paul's argument is not pit your will against the flesh. Like, I'm just going to try really, really hard not to be sexually immoral. I'm just going to try not to think impure thoughts. I'm just going to try really, really hard to, I'm coming for you, devil. Make way, right? That's not what Paul is saying at all. Because if I told you right now, don't think of a pink elephant. Everybody just thought of a pink elephant, right? And so Paul's not saying, hey, just try to stay away from sin. Try to avoid the flesh. He's saying, no, you have to be overwhelmed with a completely different pursuit. Be overwhelmed by the Spirit of God in such a way that, that you're not even giving the flesh a second look because you're too distracted and in awe of the Spirit. And, and, and this is, this is the, the, the beauty of this, is that when he says be led by the Spirit, in the original language, it has this notion of being willingly led by the Spirit. So Paul isn't asking us to pit our will against the flesh, but rather submit our will to the Spirit. Now, when you think about being led by the Spirit, it does feel like a bit of a mystery. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, it can be kind of Christianese. Well, just walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Spirit, just walk in it. Be led by Him. What does that even mean? And, and, and this is, this is, this is the, the beauty of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying being led by the Spirit is less like a pace car in the Daytona 500. You know what that looks like? The pace car kind of goes out in front of all the other cars, and the cars are just kind of keeping pace with it. it. It's less like a pace car, and let me show you this visual. It's more like a locomotive. I want you to get this picture, a box car that's attached to a locomotive. A box car that's attached to this powerful engine that... All of a sudden, when this boxcar right here is attached to this locomotive, when they're connected, when this locomotive begins to move, it, this boxcar is not striving. All right, I'm going to go real fast. The boxcar is just resting and just completely submitted to the power of what is, it is completely incapable to do on its own. It's completely submitted to the locomotive. Are you tracking with me? And so, so Paul said that, when, when, when we are, are submitted to the Spirit of God, he, he then throws in this little phrase at the bottom, then you are no longer under the law. And so you know how sometimes the, the, the law of God can feel like a burden. A lot of people who are not following Jesus, the law of God is like, oh, man, don't smoke, don't drink, don't go to parties, right? Just like God is this cosmic killjoy that wants to ruin your life and steal all of your fun. That, that is, even as adults, we think like that. And the law of God becomes, man, i got to follow God. i got to look at all these commands to obey, right? 
But Paul said, listen, when you're walking in the spirit and you're connected like this locomotive is to this boxcar, something begins to happen. Transformation starts to happen on the inside of you. As you begin to die to yourself and submit your will to the spirit of God, what happens is like what Jesus talked about in John chapter 15, that when you abide in me, when you're connected to me, the spirit of God is going to produce fruit. What fruit are we talking about? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're going to produce fruit on the inside of you. There's going to be a transformation. Let me say this. The Holy Spirit begins to produce fruit that you bear. You don't produce it. You bear it. That's, you got you to catch that. The branch is not striving. The branch is abiding. And all of a sudden, and this is what Paul said, is you are no longer under the law when you're walking by the Spirit. Why? Because the law is not a burden anymore. You're not under the penalty and, and the judgment of it any longer. In fact, how can, you feel, how can it feel like it's a weight when fruit that the law requires is popping out all over your branches? And so all of a sudden, the law becomes like these tracks that you simply are on top of as the locomotive is pulling. You're attached to the locomotive, and you're just gliding right on the top. The will of God becomes a delight, no longer a burden. You Listen, the Spirit of God begins to transform you in such a way where you begin to desire what God desires so it no longer feels like a weight. That's huge. And when, when this started to happen to me, when I trusted Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior, when I said, you are Lord of my life, and the Spirit of God began to transform me, I was like, what's happening? <laughs> because the things that I used to desire were dying. And all of a sudden it was like, I want what you desire, God. That gives me life. That fulfills me. But something had to die. I, I knew this really started to, to take place in my life. If you've been to Growth Track, you, might have, you, you probably have heard this story, but I think it paints a great picture. Is I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor in our previous church, a gentleman came in. He was obviously, he was out of his mind a little bit, and he said he wanted to be a pastor at our church. Well, obviously, we didn't know him or anything like that, and, and he gets a little bit hostile. He takes the Bible, and he throws it at our associate pastor's head, right? And so me and, and the young adults pastor, which is uh, my best friend, Pastor James, we're, we're, we looked at each other like, what do we do? We beat this guy up? What? And so, so then he turns on me, and he just starts swinging. Like, we're on, we're on church campus. Church life is exciting. <laughs> and no joke, no joke. Beforehand, before Christ, if that were to happen, I would have needed to respond in a hostile way because you're threatening my pride. I have, an, I have a reputation to uphold. I, all these different things that would have rose up in me. No, you're not going to get me. Like, what? We would have went for it. But what, what ends up happening is the fruit of the Spirit begins to fill the emptiness that the flesh so wants, that, that the flesh, if not filled, longs to fill, fill with other things. The Spirit of God begins to fill you with this fruit. And no joke, I'd never experienced anything like this before in my life. A peace came over me, fruit. And it was like the Matrix. I just blocked his punches. No, I'm not even lying with you. This is a true story. And I looked at him as he's throwing punches at me, and I just said with a smile, I'm not going to hurt you, man. I'm not going to hurt you. And he's just, ah, horrible puncher. 
But I knew at that moment that wasn't because I'm awesome. It's because I'm abiding. And the fruit that comes from that, you can't, you can't make that stuff up. And so, so, so Paul is trying to paint us a, a, a picture here to abide. Man, when the spirit of God is producing fruit on the inside of us, man, life dramatically changes. Breakthrough happens in so many different levels. And it doesn't matter what fight you're in, there can be a peace and a rest that surpasses all understanding. And so, so what am I saying? How, how do we actually, how do, how do we do this? If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. I'm running out of time. Is we need to submit to the spirit of God. How do we do it? By faith and resting in the promises of God. George Mueller, uh, just a, a famous giant in the faith, he said the, the, the key to this is to make your soul, or to keep your soul happy in God by resting on his promises. Now, now I know that may seem a little bit elementary, but, but let me explain what I mean by that. It was funny because we were this last, or on Thursday night, we were talking to Gabe. Gabe, as part of our worship team, he plays uh, this beautiful red Nord stage over here. And, uh, and he was saying, man, I'm so excited. I'm getting married this year. By the way, Pastor Nikki and Scott got married. Can we give them a hand? Hey, my man. Scott loves all the attention, don't you, Scott? Um, and so he, he said, man, I'm getting married this year. And what, and what he said, it reminded me of, of uh, a story that I told a little bit uh, a while ago with Jackie. He said, man, I'm getting married, so it doesn't matter what happens to me this year. Why? Because there is a promise that is overwhelming any other circumstance. That I am completely at rest, so excited, like, you could do anything, but I'm getting married. I'm getting married. And, and, and there's, there's a promise that's attached to that. And so, so how do we walk in the spirit? We walk in the spirit, spirit by, by, by faith. We walk in the spirit by submitting our lives um, to the word of God by faith and resting in the promises of God. Let me prove it to you from scripture. I'm just going to give you a few. Uh, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Genuine faith produces love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. So how do we walk in the Spirit? By faith. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Right? So, so for through the Spirit, how do we wait in hope? Through the Spirit, by faith. How do we walk in the Spirit of God? How do we rest in the hope as we eagerly await for Christ? We do it by faith. Does, what about this one? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, everything that the spirit does in us and through us is what? Is by faith. Not by works of the law, but by faith. So how do we walk in the spirit? How are we led by the spirit? By faith in the word of God, resting on the promises of God. Now, now, this is really important that, that you catch this because I, I, want, I want to reverse engineer this for you just for a moment. So when you're not walking by faith, what happens? You, you cease to keep in step with the Spirit. And when you cease to keep in step with the Spirit, you're now more prone to give in to the flesh. 
And so that's why it's so important that we, by faith, are resting, that we're, we're keeping our soul happy in God by, by resting in the promises of God. The difficult part about this is we are addicted to information over implementation. We just are. And so like, I can tell you all of this, and it's like, mm, mm, that was deep. Mm. I felt convicted today. Mm. But then we go home, and it's like, man, that was a great message. I felt convicted. I know I need to make some changes, but I'm just going to wait till next Sunday. See what's happening. And there's no implementation. Let me give you an example. I, I, this, this last week, uh, we're in 21 days of fasting and prayer. I'm reading Isaiah 58. Just jump out of the shower. It's about 10 o'clock at night. And we're reading Isaiah 58, and it's talking about the fast that God has chosen. And as I was reading through it, you know, it's kind of a rebuke, Isaiah 58, to say, hey, you're really just fasting to get something. And you want your fast to be convenient. Like, you're still treating people horrible. Like, you may be avoiding food, but you're still, you know, you're not nice at the office. You know, you're still disrespecting your teacher, whatever the case is. And then it got to the part that said, but is this not the fast that I have chosen to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to let the oppressed go free? And then I came across this part, to give to those who are in need and provide shelter for the wanderer. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just, and I was like, I got to go. I got to go find somebody tonight. And I just sensed the Spirit of God say, you need to go find somebody to help. So I'm not telling you what my right hand is so I lose my reward. I'm trying to give you an example. And so I told Jack, I'm like, babe, I got to go. She's like, what are you going? It's 10 o'clock at night. It's not normal. This is not normal to leave your home at 10 o'clock at night. I said, I got to go find somebody. And I had a picture of where God wanted me to go, and I went down there. And sure enough, there was a man sitting on the banks with a shopping cart by himself. And I just knew that it was, yes, that was it. So I'm not going to tell you what I did or anything like that. But we were able to have a 20-minute conversation. Everybody has a story. But how, how would it have been if I would have just been like, ooh, that is so good got to minister to those in need, provide shelter to the wanderer. Come on, Jesus. Going to sleep. That's normal. But he said, how about cubism? That's, that's normative, but how about you let me create something else? And you just never know. But, but I think the, the, hard, the, the hard part about it is this, is, is how, do, how does this play out practically on Monday? Like, how do I walk in the Spirit consistently? Let me, let me show you. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. I just want you to post the promise, and I want you to do it afraid. I want you to post the promise. You know, my mom was the queen of post-its growing up. We had post-its everywhere. Refrigerator, counter. I mean, my mom just had a ton of post-its. And I'll never forget, she always had post-its with scripture. It'd just be all over the house. Just promises. And then it'd be like, clean your room. <laughs> right? And sometimes we just need, we, we need to constantly be mindful of the promises of God. Especially in the areas where we need breakthrough. Now, now that's the easy part. The second part is we need to respond. We need to do it afraid. 
I want to close with this. We took uh, my daughter to Six Flags this last uh, couple weeks ago. Took all our kids, and there was this big roller coaster that Olivia was wanting to go on, but she wasn't sure. I said, babe, let's do it. And uh, so we got in line, and she's terrified the whole time. And I'm like, babe, you're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. Just stay the course. Stay in line. You don't have to do it if you don't want to, but. And she's like, and she just stayed there afraid, waiting in line. And finally it came, it came, it was, it was our turn. I said, babe, where do you want to sit? I said, let's sit in the front. She's like, in the front? <laughs> sit in the front. She's like, okay. She's just, okay, dad, right? She's holding my hand. Okay, dad, put your hand on my leg, dad. You got my hand on my, okay, I, I got you, I got you. And we had the time of our life. And it was amazing. But what was more important than the fact that she loved the ride is that she did it afraid. And I think a lot of times to break out of the normal, there's fear there. To trust God's promises, it's terrifying sometimes. And there's going to be some that you're going to have to rest. <laughs> this sounds like an oxymoron, but you're just going to have to rest afraid. Like there's going to be moments where... It's like I, you're calling me to rest. Everything inside of me wants to try to do this, wants to try to handle this, wants to, but you're just going to have to not do it. Not defend yourself, not, you know, hold this or say that. You're just going to have to rest. And it may be terrifying for the moment, but then what you're going to realize is going to build your faith because you're like, man, okay, <laughs> that wasn't so bad. And all of a sudden you're not afraid anymore. The next thing Oli said, I want a bigger one. Give me a bigger ride. You're going to have to do it afraid. There's going to be some things that God is calling you to this year that you're just going to have to do it afraid. Just knowing that you're hand in hand with your God. And it's, it's not going to feel comfortable. You're breaking out of the old shell because God is creating something brand new. And you're just going to have to say, Lord, oh gosh, yes, I'm going to post the promise and I'm just going to do it afraid. And I promise, after you do it a couple times afraid, it's going to build your faith. And you're not going to fear anymore. And, and then there's going to be another level, and you're going to be like, oh, gosh, do it afraid. Do it afraid. Paul said, I came to you in fear and trembling. But the key is Paul still came today. And just see what God does in and through your life. So let, let me wrap this all up. What does this have to do with Jonah? So finally the sailors, they do it afraid. They're like, oh, God, we don't know if this is the right thing to do. But we know there's sin on this boat, and they throw him off. See you, Joe. And guess what? The storm, the storm ceased, and they had a worship service. They had a worship service on that boat while Jonah was sinking. Jonah still didn't get it yet. He's going to get it. He just didn't get it yet. And I'm just going to encourage you, listen, if there's some things that God is asking you to unload off your boat, just do it afraid. And just, and know, know, just know that it's going to end in a worship service. 